Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. And this is episode 130. Chris Scammell on their uh, the Amp Hour. He's a co-host over there. Um, they gave us a shout-out for our tariff discussion with Chris Church on MEP episode 127. So that's cool of them. Yeah, awesome. It's also a uh, landmark episode for them. It's episode 400. Wow, they've been doing it for a while, haven't they? Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations, guys. Yeah, congratulations. Um, and also, the best part of that episode is timestamp 3404, because Gamble does a Wookiee impression, and it is amazing. Really? Oh, okay, I'm going to have to go right to that point. Yeah, yeah. So, Steven, what's your Wookiee impression? This is my Wookiee impression. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got there, Steven? What's that box? Uh, it's actually it's a TC Electronics G Major. Uh, it's like a many many years back model. Uh, it's a, it's an effects processor for um, guitar, and uh, but I decided to pass my vocals through this uh, for the podcast just so I can do a little bit of extra filtering and some compression and things like that from my side uh, just to make things a little bit easier. And I, I actually, this is the first time I've really, I mean, I've used it in the past couple of days, but um, first time using it for the podcast. And I, I figure I can just do a little bit of doctoring on my voice over here before it gets your way. And I can do things like put a noise gate on it so you can't hear when my air conditioning turns on. Here. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good though. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with it. I I spent I spent a little while the other day kind of just tweaking it. Getting it tuned into your voice. Yeah, and it's totally not intended for this. I mean, it, all the inputs and outputs are quarter inch. It doesn't have phantom power, you know, so I had to buy a little external phantom power box for the uh, microphone that I'm using. And then, you know, I had to reconfigure it. So it's, I mean, it's not really intended for microphone uh, levels or even data, but... Uh, it works. And I can, and add, I can add, add effects, effects whenever, whenever I want to, I want so, to so I can make it goofy, 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 goofy. goofy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll do, I'll do my Wookiee impression. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, so that sounds really cool, Steven. Uh, hopefully we get you to do more voices and stuff in the future. You know, uh, this this thing has tons of presets. Like, I I have the Macrofab preset, so I can just come from work, turn it on, and it's you know it's set up for what we do here. But I could do like a gazillion other voices and stuff. But you know, we'll yeah. we will figure out some reason why I will need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, something came in this week, didn't it? I uh, don't know what you're talking about, Stephen. The very first thing on your your notes oh the shitty add-on update oh yeah the pcbs yeah the hamburger board yeah the hamburger board ha the hamburger hot dog board yeah so that the pcbs arrived um i think they get assembled this week okay well uh, yeah I, I, yeah they, they have i guess they haven't arrived in your hands but they're in their your building yeah they're in the building um and i think all the parts are there um and i think the one i'm gonna build Cause I'm only building, well, I'm only building one, but the thing is I've noticed like there's like four or five others people that have ordered them now. Oh, that's great. So that's kind of cool. I, so I got the, so I, I started writing the software this morning, basically ported over the, the macro watch code since the same processor. And since it doesn't have a real time clock, I removed that part of the code. And then I started basically working on, uh, getting the timer interrupts working. Cause I want to do it all. Like I want to add, be able to add LED patterns 
easily. Mm-hmm. So I want to just set up like an array of of what the LED states would be. So to like do a an array of 32-bit variables, right? Mm-hmm. And so you would just be like, okay, in that 32-bit uh, string, these are the if it's a one, the LED is on. If it's a zero, that LED is off. And then it just cycles through the array. And so you can have multiples of these to make the patterns really easy. And so it will just be a timer, a uh, timer-based um, cycle to clock through them. Is is the speed that it goes through the array is that fixed? And you just, however you set up the array, will set the timing, I guess. Well, if you need a blank, you just put a blank line in the array. But so yeah, it goes through the array. Each section of the array will be a fixed rate, it, whatever the timer interrupt is. It'll, yeah, equal equal timing between yeah uh, steps in the array. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and so the on the macro watch, I was using the RTC, and the RTC basically would wake the device up, and then you, it would go back to sleep. On the uh, shitty add-on, what I want to do is I want to use it actual. So it doesn't need to sleep because it can just draw as much power as you know, the board it gets on as much as possible. So what I want to do is I want to use a timer interrupt. I never used one of those on an EFM8 chip. So I'm going to try that. Um, the good thing is I can use a MacroWatch to prototype it before my board shows up. So I got it. It, it compiles. I haven't actually tested it yet, but it will basically go in timer interrupt. And then it's going to, my test is it goes into timer interrupt, sets a bit to one. And then uh, on the next interrupt, it sets it to zero. And that bit will basically tell the while loop what to do. Very cool. And so I'm trying to think of like what kind of LED patterns I'm going to do with this thing. Um, I, I was going to do one that, you know, it lights up all the LEDs around the border, the logo in like a sequence. Mm-hmm. And then do like an LED chase. Yeah, that the the ants yeah, in a line kind of thing. Yeah. So what, um, what other patterns should I implement? Um, you have it just count in binary or have it count, you know, one, then two, then three, you know, lit up. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's going to go through a certain pattern like ten times and then switch to a new pattern, then just keep cycling different patterns. Because there's no there's no user input to this thing. You know what would be funny? You know the, um, like, uh, w- w- a car alarm sounds. You, you, you know, uh, the how it cycles through different sounds and and everyone probably has that going through their head right now like those like default <laughs> sounds if you interpreted those in led patterns and have it do like a car alarm but led patterns oh that, yeah that would be cool i had to implement like a pwm though because there's that whoop, whoop, yeah yeah so you have to make that whole badge like ramp up and down well you 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 could do you could do the ramp you could do the ramping function by just, you know, that's like chasing the LEDs or, or increasing uh, instead of PWMing just one, then the other, then the other kind of thing. No, I should implement a PWM. It, there's no reason not to. Yeah, I, I guess if you can, then. I mean, it runs at uh, 20 megahertz off the internal clock, so that's going to be plenty fast enough. Cool. Yeah. And then over the weekend, uh, I, was showing, I was sending Steven pictures of my welding project and so basically, I'm recreating the um, skid plate on the wagon because it's all rusted apart. And that's like the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life. Just make make it from scratch? Yeah, it has to be because I, I was originally just going to take the skid plate out and then just like cut out all the rot, rusted rot, and then patch it up. But when I pulled it out, an entire third of it's missing. 
<laughs> so I'm like, okay, I can't actually recreate something I don't know what's there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started basically cutting up the old um, skid plate to kind of like make patterns. And that got me kind of where I'm at now. I'm about 40% of the way done with it. I'm basically like tweaking what I have because, you know, I don't have actual measurements. There's no pattern. There's, as I think what you said, I'm, I'm, ma- I'm making something custom with no absolute units. Right. Yeah. Like there's nothing about this thing I can figure out. <laughs> it's, it's artwork at this point. You're making a sculpture. Yeah. I'm making a sculpture out of sheet metal that fits a tank. Yeah, right, right. Well, but but I guess that's one absolute that you have. You know the mounting holes, right? Yeah, I, I have. there's two mounting holes that it has to hit. And all the other ones, it doesn't really matter because they're on the frame. And if I put it up and mount it, then I can just, you know, draw where those are at and punch the holes through on the skid. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You, you, when you say doesn't matter, that that means you you could use them or put something else. It's not that you would leave them unpopulated. Oh yeah, they won't be they're not unpopulated. And there's 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 two mounts that matter. Yeah. Their relationship, but the other ones, I mean they're fixed on the frame, but there's a 2 inch wide by like 4 foot long piece of metal that they can go on. Yeah. And I'm basically just going to mark them on the frame and then when I put the skid plate in and mount it to the two mounting points that do matter, then I'm just going to mark on the skid plate where those other mounts are at and then punch the holes in. Cool. So it's not, those are more of like a, th- those those holes are more of a, uh, I don't need them to design and build this thing, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. The The thing I'm most curious about, uh, and I th- I wouldn't be surprised if, if other people would kind of get a kick out of this too, is like, what is your process? Like, how do you look at it and say, like, I've got a piece of sheet metal and I need it to be not a piece of sheet metal. I need it to be a skid plate. Like what, how do you approach that? Uh, so what I, what I first did was I started with the base, the, the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And so I put the tank on the piece of sheet metal. Like, Cause I bought a big five foot by eight foot piece of sheet metal. That's 14 gauge. That's huge. And I only got it for 60 bucks. I mean, it's all, it's, it's called a less than prime steel. So it's like been sitting in a steel yard for like two summers and been rained on and so it's not the prettiest piece of metal and it's kind of rusted up but it's solid steel do do you know what the price would be for you know prime grade same thing about 120 bucks more okay okay so it's about 3x the cost yeah so it's a third the price for less than prime steel here in houston I, I think it probably depends where you're at but 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 it just has surface rust it's not pitted right Oh, it's pitted, but not, like, bad. Okay, okay. When you knock the rust off, it's not smooth anymore. Okay, okay. But I guess for a skid plate, that's great. Yeah, it's getting it's getting painted, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Continue. I put the tank down, and I trace the tank out, right? So I'm like, okay, that's the extent of the tank. So I cut that out with a jigsaw, and then I basically set it up and then started measuring off the old skid plate, trying to, like recreate the sides and so i'd measure it and then i would i would actually draw it out on on uh, i was using cad which is called cardboard aided design <laughs> and so you would draw out the shape you wanted on a piece of cardboard and then cut it out with an exacto so you would have the piece because you can do that like in 30 seconds first cutting it out with a jigsaw takes like 10 minutes to do it right you know set up your guide and 
run your jigsaw so you actually would get a straight cut you know uh quick quick side tangent um cad cardboard aided design uh i had I actually had a conversation with a guy just the other day at work about cad um one of the best cardboards to use is cereal boxes uh they're not big enough for what you want but that cardboard is actually really great for cutting and tracing like and it's and it's thin too it's thin because so it matches sheet metal yep well, I was just using like cardboard boxes because that's one what I had, and two, it needed to be big enough for some of these sheets I was cutting. Right. And so I do a couple patter, uh, uh, patterns, basically. I was using the cardboard as patterns and kind of like tape it together and kind of like, okay, that looks okay. Cut it out of metal and then just tack it all together. Um, and so basically, I spent all Saturday and Sunday building that thing. And it's only 40% way done. And and last night, all I did was cut tacks and shift panels around as I'm like trying to make it fit better the tank. And it's getting there. So so when when you say fit better, like what's not fitting well right now? Well, like when a tank goes in, it's got these two straps that hold the tank to the skid plate. Yeah. And when I was designing it, I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I'm like, oh yeah, it'll just work. Well, last night I like put them on and I'm like, oh, I need to drop uh, this panel by like half an inch. This one needs to go up a little bit. This one needs to be tweaked so that these straps, the factory straps fit correctly. I got you. Cool. Because I bought new factory straps uh, that hold the tank down and I'm like, I want to use those. And I know if I can make my skid plate work with those, then I'm probably really close to what the skid plate actually is supposed to be like. Yeah. So yeah, I'll probably after the podcast, I'll probably go back out there and cut more welds and move more sheet metal around. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's it's definitely the hardest because prior to this, like I mainly made like desks and frames and tubular things, which is very easy because it, almost everything's like ninety degree joints. Yeah, maybe a forty-five, and maybe a forty-five if you're feeling fancy. <laughs> fancy, I love that. And that's the thing. And I was always going off a design. I would come up. I I would draw it in like SketchUp or Autodesk. Yeah. So I knew like if I cut these pieces this size and put them together like this, it would make a desk. Well, and and, and it's like the logical progression from woodworking with two by fours to metalworking with tubes. Like, yes, it just translates. It just works. Whereas this is like it is like free form. There is. No rules, because I'm not trying to replicate the skid plate because I can't, because it's a pressed piece of steel. Yeah. Like, it's made out of one piece of steel that's been formed in a ginormous, like, you know, thousand-ton press or something like that. <laughs> Maybe not that much, but yeah. <laughs> a ginormous press made this thing out of one, one piece. So I'm like, how do I make this in my garage with just a welder and a basically a jigsaw? Well, this is your version of Freeform Jazz, right? Yeah, freeform jazz welding. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, a freeform jazz odyssey. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, uh, you gonna post up some pictures? Yeah, I'll post up some pictures. Um, it definitely looks be- it looked better on Sunday. Like yesterday, I kind of mangled some of the panels just to get them to look right. Sure, it's gonna be fine once I seam weld everything. But like, there's like tacks on the metal that don't tack anything together anymore. And yeah, yeah. It'll get there. So, Stephen. Yeah. What have you been working on? Not welding. 
Not not welding. This is going to be, I guess, the the mechanical special for us because yeah, it looks like that's kind of what we both been dealing with. So um, I've been spending some time on our mill at work, um, and I finally got my uh, micro tracer, U tracer, Mu tracer uh, enclosure onto the mill, and I, I I got it here so Parker can see see it. Ah, oh, that looks nice. Yep, I like how thin like it w- between your segments how thin it got and it, it didn't like rip them up or anything. Yep. It looks great. So, uh, yeah, so got, got this, uh, th- and this was actually the first time, um, I used that mill. Uh, but funny enough, the mill at work, uh, runs, it's a decade old, I think. And it runs Mach three or at least a, a specific version of Mach three, which Mach three is the main program I've used for the past handful of years on my personal CNC at home. So like, it's just kind of like, I, I could just get up and go with it. I also know how to program it. So, would you set that thing up in your apartment? But uh, my CNC? Yeah, where is it at? <laughs> uh, I actually, <laughs> it's in my neighbor's apartment. <laughs> they don't know yet. <laughs> no, I. So that that that's a project for the future because once once I get a home and a basement, you know, fingers crossed, uh, the CNC will come back alive. Uh, mainly because I'm itching to cut some more guitars because that was so much fun. But uh, I, at least I get my fix at work now. Uh, so even though I've said it uh, already probably a hundred of times outside of the podcast, thank you, Bill, for letting me use the mill. Uh, he he's a he's a listener now, so he will, ah. he will certainly get that. So yeah, so I got I got the the enclosure cut, um, and I'm happy with it. It it's basically exactly what I wanted. Um, which which is great because I've done a, I've done a little bit of steel milling in the past, not a whole lot, uh, and so this one was kind of like, well, we'll just see how it goes. If it comes out good, it comes out good. So did, how did you design it? You know, I did or the layout for the panel. the The layout for this kind of spawned. Now that's a, that's actually a big question, and I'll, I won't spend too long on it. But I did I did the majority of the design of that in Inkscape. Because this project is so dependent upon someone else's board, the actual Mutracer board, uh, I'm kind of doing like dip trace and inkscape up at the same time. And anything I change, anytime I change something in dip trace, like I make sure that the mechanical drawing in inkscape matches. And the reason I use inkscape is because it'll spit out a DXF, um, and I can use DXF uh, to pr- you know generate my g code for the uh for the mill and i use a program called cam bam c-a-m-b-a-m for uh generating g code which it's not fantastic it's it's pretty it's just like a budget like hobbyist version it gets gets the job done it very much gets the job done it, it for for flat stuff where it's just like make a circle make a square that kind of stuff it's super fast and super easy so i've been using that for years because the original intent was i was cutting you know guitar cabinets with uh, finger joints which that's just a four by eight table that you just draw you Mm -hmm. know rectangles with fingers on the end and then press go and it was fantastic for that so yeah i'll post up some pictures of the enclosure there's a little bit more that needs to be done on it um the power and the usb I'm showing Parker a picture. The power and the USB enter up on the on the front side, yeah, on the edge. So the one thing is this box is pretty shallow. It's two inches deep by you know ten inches wide and six inches. Um, the, the the depth is two inches. So setting it down on the mill and holding it in the in the vise is pretty easy because it's kind of flat. 
but being able to mill the top side, I have to hold it kind of vertically and that's on the thin side. So I'm going to work out how I want the jaws of the vise to hold it. It's probably fine, but I'm just considering like, is it going to rattle? Is it going to do something funky? I'm not sure. Yeah. You might need to put um, two plates on each side to hold it. And uh, yeah, I've, I, I'm not entirely sure yet. So uh, that depending on, how things go i might end up doing that tomorrow so uh, basically it's just i need two more rectangles cut out of it one for the usb jack and one for the power jack and then everything's milled pretty happy with it and what about how you're gonna do the graphics yeah so i i i finalized and i'm using air quotes here i finalized the graphics um the other day i'm pretty happy with them i just printed them out on my printer and put it on the box i was like this looks cool i'll go with this (laughs) uh but but uh, I did also the graphics in Inkscape. So I did the mechanical drawing and the graphics at the same time in Inkscape such that like I know everything lines up. And we have a Mamaki um, inkjet printer at, at work. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that thing. And um, yeah, I think I talked about that the other week. And so I just basically need to load that up, align everything, and print it, you know? So it's funny with all the, you know, to print an area that's 10 inches by 6 inches, you know, that, that, that printer will do a fantastic job and it'll look gorgeous. The print is probably, I don't know, five minutes, but I bet you I'm going to have to spend an hour and a half aligning it, you know, <laughs> uh, just because this is a one-off thing and and that, that machine doesn't really work on absolutes. So you pretty much have to put it on the bed of the, uh, of the printer, put some paper on it or like saran wrap or something, print onto that, see where it is, readjust, print again, see if you like it. You know, you, you kind of have to print to see where the print is. And so I'm going to guess with your production stuff, you do a, like a fixture for everything. That's right. Yeah, actually. Uh, so I've, I've actually designed a handful of fixtures already for um, a lot of our products. And the fixtures themselves have fiducials on them. Oh, can the machine see those? No, the machine can't see them, but we can. Uh, basically, I made a, a cross sign or a plus sign as a fiducial. So basically, we just print over the fiducial, measure the offset, apply that, and then you're good to go. Gotcha. Um, so it's you know if if you if you're doing a one off thing like what I'm doing, it's you know it could be four or five dip prints just to align it exactly right. But with the fiducial and a jig that mounts you know nicely. Uh, Hopefully, well, not hopefully. the 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 plan is that it's one print. You move it to adjust the fiducial, or maybe not. You know, um, you may get it right on the first time. So yeah, the uh, that's that's done, and the layout is still coming on the the U tracer. I just kind of wanted to get the enclosure going, and I'm happy with it so far. So probably by the end of the week, I'll have the enclosure like basically complete. Like waiting for a board to go in. Oh, that's gonna be cool. Hopefully, you don't need to move parts. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've already, I've already measured the holes on the box, you know, uh, and so it's where I wanted them to be. So if I have to move parts, it's going to be a way bigger problem. <laughs> That's like buy a new enclosure kind of problem, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so one of the thing that, um, I thought would be fun to talk about, cause I guess this is the, our little mechanical thing is I actually tried a handful of, um, feed and speed calculators online. Um, because, you know, most of my CNC experience has been wood and plastic, but, you know, wood in a whole bunch of different varieties and plastics in, you know, 
plastics uh but (laughs) (laughs) just plastics yeah uh but i haven't done a whole lot of metal milling some but not a whole lot and most of the metal milling i've i've done i haven't had to like guess on feeds and speeds they've they were either provided to me or like you just knew them from whatever reason but on this this particular project it's you know it's with 20 gauge steel it's which is 0.036 0.036 inches that's pretty thin stuff yeah yeah and i was using a an eighth inch drill mill to to mill it i'm like how fast do you go and how fast do you spin i don't know so i actually ran through and did a handful of calculators online and i'm um, i'm pretty pleased with how it turned out all all said and done um i think i i think i spun at 3300 rpm and i did three inches a minute which is pretty slow i probably could have gone a lot faster but in terms of the burrs that i was getting they were they were there but it was like one swipe of a deburr burr tool and everything was cleaned up and it was like very very much on the surface like the actual cut of the holes is super clean did, did you find that the online calculators because you said calculators plural did they all agree no no, that's that's one thing. And, and so the calculations for feeds and speeds is actually really, really simple. Uh, most of the equations that you're dealing with is like, in order to find your answer, multiply this number by this number. Or, you know, in order to find another solution, like the number that you previously calculated from a multiplication, add this number to it. And you. so it's not like really difficult calculations. It's just like basic arithmetic. The The hardest thing that I found was like, you have to pick things off of charts like, oh, okay, is this high carbon steel? Well, if it's high carbon steel, then you need to use this number in this calculation. Or, you know, like if, if you know, there's just, there's just a lot of different, uh, not a lot, but there's, there's, there's charts that you have to kind of understand what you're getting at. There's more variables than you would think. Right. There's also like previous knowledge. It's not as simple as like, oh, two flutes on my end mill and I, you know, and I'm cutting steel. You you can't just like type in the word steel and it tells you how fast to go, you know, <laughs> like there's a lot behind that. Uh, so I spent a while, you know, kind of digging through a handful of different calculators. And really where the difference comes in the, in the calculators is some of them will try to guess for you. Uh, so like you, you can, you can choose what's called surface feet, uh, per minute or SFM, which is basically like how, uh, it relates to how fast the, the bit is spinning and how much like distance the spin travels. It's kind of, uh, this is, this is an electrical engineer trying to explain this. There's probably mechanical guys listening that are like, Oh my God, what's wrong with you? But, uh, at the same time, there's also a variable called chip load, which is how much you're loading down the the teeth on the end mill. And you get to choose your level of loading. Uh, depending on how you select that, you, you'll get different calculations from every calculator. But what I found that's good is you you usually get within the same general range. You know, this calculator might say go 10 inches a minute and that one might say nine, but at least they're close, you know. And uh, so I ended up using those calculations, throwing it on there, and the box came out great. So I have nothing to complain about. But at the same time, this is really thin steel, and it's probably not some crazy alloy or anything like that. It's probably just like really, really mild steel. Mild steel. The yeah. mildest. Actually, you know, it's probably, it's probably the same crap that you're making your skid plate out of. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Taco Bell of steel. Very mild. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very mild. <laughs> 
Made from seven different uh, ingredients, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just shuffled together in different ways. <laughs> Just Yeah. That's how they, you make different steel. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Cool. So, yep. on to the RFO. The RFO. So, this week, we have the return of Radio Shack. Dun, dun, dun. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. On, on, on. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Wow. That's gonna get old really fast. Oh yeah, we just gotta use it in this one episode. <laughs> yeah, this is this is. We promise we'll try to make this not get old. Okay. Um. So there's a company called Hobby Town, which I've never heard of before, um, and they're gonna start having Radio Shack Expresses in their store. So it's like a it's a Radio Shack inside another store. Ooh. And they're gonna sell electrical components and there's going to be a pizza hut inside the radio shack express inside the hobby town yeah <laughs> um well it's like when you go to like a gas station and they have like a pizza hut attached to the gas station yeah right. at the convenience store it, it'd be like that i guess yeah, yeah but it's gonna be like a small like they said 500 square feet so it's 25 feet by 25 feet kind of thing cool yeah it's gonna be uh you know it's, it's just interesting that you know that hobby town would do this because well, i looked into hobby town and they're like a they they offer a lot of rc components uh electronics for hobbyists like not like like electrical engineer hobby or makers but more like train like rc trains or no, i'm not uh, i'm sorry rc trains um model trains rc vehicles drones that kind of stuff helicopters boats yeah so so they're gonna have like a whole aisle of servos and stuff like that yeah so it sounds like they're gonna be doing a electrical components kind of like you know you know back in the dusty area of radio shack where like no one knew the drawers back there yeah the drawers yeah that's probably what they're gonna have like the people remember when you went to radio shack and you're like can i get a like 100 ohm resistor and they like you know they're, they're like you want to buy a cell phone yeah they're like is that an iphone is that the new version of the iPhone? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But no, no. So they're just going to have that. But apparently, they're also going to do like iPhone, or they well, they're going to do phone repairs as well there. Which you know, so I was reading this article earlier today, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I've always enjoyed Radio Shack, um, just because. Um, but before I knew how to get parts or where to get parts, I started at Radio Shack. Yeah, same here. That's just what what you do. And um, and actually, funny enough, when um, when Radio Shack was going out of business, the other guy who ran the shop when I was running um, Craig Amplification, he went over to Radio Shack and offered them forty dollars for all of their electronics, and they gave it to him. He walked out of a Radio Shack with. Everything that they had, like switches, batteries, every Dang, resistor stuff, steel. 40 bucks. He had two trash bags filled with uh, Radio Shack parts, and he still has tons of that. Um, regardless, the whole thing that I was getting at here is like, as soon as Radio Shack started getting into the cell phone game, it was like, okay, well, you guys have kind of given up on life you know like it's just like <laughs> because like, once you get into that game, you like you have to play it so hard that it became their focus. You know? Yeah. Well, and you gotta think it was back when when Radio Shake made that move, the maker movement was not there. It was still people that were just alone doing electronics. <laughs> the the real weirdos. Yeah, it was like ham radio and then like us and like we were just building electronics just to build electronics for ourselves. But but it. but at that time it wasn't cool to build electronics. No, it wasn't. Apparently it's cool now to be a nerd or whatever. Yeah. 
Oh man, that's a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's not go down that. Let's not go down that right now. <laughs> People faking to be nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. but I'm 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 ex- I'm excited. I mean, the the whole thing. This hobby town is is uh, of what I research. It's kind of a northeastern thing, so it's not like it's going to affect either one of us. We're not going to see a Radio Shack Express like soon. Um, but 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 hey, at least they're like, at least they're kind of getting back to their roots. You know, they're they're putting themselves in a hobby area and they're offering components. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, like, why is because Hobby Town, because if you look at their websites, um, they they clearly offer components like our like they offer servos and you know modules that you can use to build RC cars and stuff. It's like, why don't they just do components themselves? It's not that far of a stretch. No, it's not that far of a stretch, but I bet you, not bet you, it's almost a guarantee that they have some kind of uh, deal with Radio Shack where Radio Shack handles all the crap, you know? So they just have to say, like, yeah, They'll that's handle great. the logistics? Yeah, it's kind of like the bread aisle at most grocery stores. Like, the grocery doesn't handle that. It's, you know, what there's, there's some third-party... Um, someone that does that so because like handling bread sucks you know so <laughs> i'm sure handling like discrete components is not particularly fun um and so i, I it, it probably works out better for for both of those companies probably and then i was also thinking like why not like team up with adafruit or spark fund because that both those companies also handle discretes as well yeah and those those two companies are more in tune to the makers than Radio Shack is. You know, I just uh, out of random curiosity, I wonder if Adafruit or SparkFun would even be interested in that. Or if they'd be like, Radio Shack? Nah, get out of here. Oh, yeah. Well, they might be interested in getting to like Hobby Town or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. And this also reminds me of like the... Um, when was it like six or eight years ago there was a lot of those um vending machines that would pop up in your school that would sell components you'd feed it a crumpled up dollar bill and get a 2n3904 oh yeah 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 that's it um so so, this is this is interesting i'm on um hobby town's website right now and and up at the top there's a like a find a store little locator thing and what's great is it, you can put it in your city and state, and it has a pull-down list for the radius that, that you want to look, and it has three options. It has 150 miles, it has 500 miles, or 3,000 miles as its, like, options. <laughs> okay, first of all, the whole reason to have a a place like Hobby Town near you is so you don't have to order or go far and you can get stuff quickly. Yeah. The 150 miles, that's like a six-hour round trip. Yeah, ex- yeah, especially if it's if it's like in a town with traffic and everything, that would be a very long. <laughs> but like three thousand miles, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go to Colorado and back to go buy components. <laughs> that's that's that would be less than three thousand miles. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah, for that round trip. Oh, that's great. But it's funny because I typed, I did type in Houston and searched three thousand so miles. One? I still haven't found it out yet because like I obviously not within there's not a single one within 3000 miles of houston wow yeah. well i'm out of luck well wait 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 hang on maybe maybe i didn't do my uh my uh, search right uh, uh houston texas here we go 3000 miles of houston texas oh wait no 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 oh you know what? actually wait no I, I guess i did my search wrong look it appears that there's hobby towns all over the united states in fact there might even be one 
Uh, okay, so there is one, two outside of Houston. Actually, technically, I guess it's not outside of Houston because it's so damn big. Uh, <laughs> what loop are they on? Uh, there's one on on uh, Highway Six. Actually, there's one. There's one that's probably 20 minutes from you. Oh, cool! I have to go check it out. I wonder if they'll get a a Radio Shack Express. Yeah, I, I thought I read somewhere that this this was like a northern. Uh, thing. Oh, you know what? Well, I'm looking at uh, Colorado right now, and there's like more than one in Denver. There's four of them in Denver. Nice. We'll have okay. to go check them out. Maybe I'll have some Radio Shack experience in the near future. Yeah. I'll buy some more um, protoboard. That's like all I bought at Radio Shack. Because for some reason, they would sell one resistor for a dollar, but you can get protoboards for like four bucks. And it was like still the cheapest protoboards you can ever buy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I tell you what, if I walk in that uh, in in one of those hobby towns and and a guy walks up and is like, "Excuse me, sir, what cell phone do you use?" I'll just be like, "Um, I'm I'm out of here <laughs> Late, later. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm I'm getting out of here." <laughs> uh, well, I hope I hope Radio Shack Express does well. I bet you it. I bet I bet you it's a trial thing for something bigger to see. Like, will it stick? That kind of thing. Because uh, it would be nice to be able to buy some components like just transistors and 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 resistors and stuff would be nice um i mean i already have like ace electronics here but they only have like really old stuff <laughs> yeah they have tons of like carbon composition resistors and stuff <laughs> yeah it'd be nice to get some newer kind of stuff yeah maybe get some like smd uh S- yeah smd parts I do know that this is a little bit of a drive for you, but EPO, Electronic Parts Outlet in Houston, kind of just did a big um, revamp of their entire transistor aisle. Like, top to bottom, everything. And they actually, it's not that it wasn't organized before, but it's, like, way more organized now. Um, And so, go check that out. Are they still, like, half the stores, like, AliExpress? <laughs> inflatable pizzas and things yeah, like that. Pizzas and uh, I mean, you shouldn't be dogging yeah. on them too hard because I mean, the local here in Houston, like a they're they're a surplus electronic store. But like, they used to be really cool when they had that entire back was just full of junk. Oh yeah, I had so much fun going through there and finding something that looked weird and just buying it just to like tear it apart. And then they got rid of like, and then I went to college and came back and they got rid of that whole section and now it's like car audio and i'm like i do not care about that <laughs> yeah the, yeah I, re- I remember those days it, the, it it was like gosh it was just a trash heap in, yeah, the, back, in the back basically and they just let you dig through it it was awesome and yeah. and then they got rid of a lot of their uh components and stuff too at the same time um i'll have to go check it out yeah, I'm, I'm i'm friends with some of the guys there and uh we've we've certainly talked about running a store of that type and it's really tough for them you know uh and and they're trying they're trying everything that they can but you know uh, amazon kills them you know it's just so easy to get stuff because i mean you know it's not that like mauser and digikey and guys like that uh hurt their business too much because you have to have knowledge with with you know mauser and digikey it's it's kind of daunting the first time you go there but amazon's not daunting and all the same stuff that's in their store you can get on amazon so you know, why drive down the street? It's, it's what a lot of people's mindsets are. Well, I, I mean, I do the same thing. Like, you know, Houston's so big. It's like, I'd rather order something on online and have it show up at my house a couple days later than drive 
30 minutes somewhere in traffic and then drive 30 minutes back. Yeah, yeah. But inflatable pizzas. <sighs> well, they <laughs> no, should sell stuff you, that you can't get on Amazon, like good discrete level components and good kits and stuff like that. Well, and and to be honest, you don't know what you're going to find when you go into a store like that. Uh, and That's true. You, you might find something that you needed or you would need or you will need for a project. And uh, at the same time, like you kind of just get to shoot the shit with other people who are, you know, into that kind of stuff. And, and that's always been true with EPO where I'm not trying to sell it, but I mean, I'm just being dead honest. Like you go in there and if, you know, uh, if someone starts talking to you, they're like, what project are you working on? And like, it's, you know, they actually care there. Yeah. Yeah. But you hit a good point because uh, I've definitely gone to EPO looking for like a switch and they didn't have it. But it was like something I could have just bought on Mauser and saved like two hours of my life. Well, yeah, that's true. That does happen. That, that, that's the that's the problem. If you're looking for a very specific thing, like stores like Radio Shack Express or EPO or Ace Electronics isn't going to work out. Because you need, you, there's one thing in the world that you need, and these store, and those stores probably won't have it. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And so it's best to kind of order that online. But if you need to like repair something that's using a jelly bean part, or you're like, okay, if I need something that's kind of like this to repair it, those stores are really good because you can adapt to it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You pretty much have to adapt no matter what with the stuff you buy from those stores. You go to that store if you need a switch yes you don't go to the store if you need like this one very particular switch correct but yeah support support your local electronic store because they are going away unfortunately and they're really awesome places yeah i've been to a couple of the local ones that are in uh new york city and those are pretty crazy yeah you walk in and there's only enough like room for like a single file line to get into it oh yeah yeah over in uh, Chinatown and that kind of area. So if you ever go to New York, go check those out. Interesting. You know any names? No, this is, was... Um, we were doing a a New York City hot dog crawl. <laughs> like, I think it was for... Oh, man. 20... Yeah, like 2012, the Open Hardware Summit. And we did, like, a hot dog crawl. And we also went to, like, a lot of electronic places and stuff. It was crazy. That's cool. I ate too many hot dogs. It was like four hot dogs. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's a lot. <laughs> and there was probably beer involved too, right? Every single place we went to had beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, so we have a, another question from Decimus uh, from the Slack channel. And it's, uh, a lot of times on the map, you guys mention what college did not teach you. So not counting the actual degree... Do you feel that going to college is absolutely necessary to learn what you guys know now, or is college nothing more than just a structured way of learning what can be learned elsewhere through personal study, research, and experience? First of all, that's a really well-organized question. Yes. Uh, yeah, like, like, like way, way to go on asking that question. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, and, and this is the thing I thought about this is like, because we both went to electrical engineering school. Mm-hmm. Um, but how our school taught us the stuff was two different ways as well. You know, for sure. Yeah. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be that way for, you know, any other school for sure. Mm -hmm. 
So, so one of the things I think is is actually important to start off with, like, yes, Parker and I shit on our education and uh, and our colleges, and we've done that multiple times on on the podcast. And I'm speaking from my 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 side here. That you know, that's entertain entertaining to talk about and fun. And yes, we we do talk shit about it. But like, my education was still great. Like, I and I still look back on it like fondly. Uh, it's just it, a lot of times it's easier to talk about the things that I was upset about as opposed to like the positives to it. So, uh, you know, if 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 our listeners got a uh, kind of a an overall negative outlook of college because of the way we talk, I apologize about that. Like, I don't want to dissuade you from going to college just because we talk crap about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I would agree with that, but it's it's definitely true where college pretty much teaches you more theory based instead of practical like board layout i self-taught myself board layout which is a, that's fine um i used all the theory i learned about circuit design and i'm able to design circuits and lay them out because of that theory knowledge right yeah right of course and can you do a board without that of course you could but uh, does it give you, you know, that 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 rock solid firm understanding um, to, you know, if you don't go to college, maybe, maybe not, because that would be up to you. And I think that's really where a lot of that lies. If you don't go to college, can you learn all of these things? Absolutely. It's all available. 100% you can. Uh, but but at that point, it would be all up to you. If you Correct. if you do pursue a degree at college it's not necessarily up to you. There would be someone else dictating and kind of guiding you towards understanding and knowing these things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, all the piece of paper at a college really says is you've put up with a whole bunch of crap for four years, but you've also gained a body of knowledge that this college feels that, you know, you are worthy of. You've learned. Yeah. And you're also worthy to, you know, call yourself a graduate of blah, blah, blah. Yes, there is, you know, it's it's very valuable for sure. Um and and the theory side of thing is great. I don't I certainly wouldn't say that I use it on a daily basis. But like what Parker was getting at when doing a board layout, like those things creep in, you know, those those things that, you know, you may have, you know, thought back in college like, oh, I'd never use this. Like that stuff does actually start to, you know, come in and, and you, you think about it for sure. And I, w I would say the good thing about um, college is it, I mean, at the time you, you take all these classes that you're like, this has nothing to do with engineering. Why am I taking this class? Like, why am I taking English? Why am I taking history? The thing, why am I taking philosophy? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. The thing is though, is, is after leaving college and, you know, working for a couple of years is you, you, I, I tended to look at that and be like, okay, the reason why that I took the they make you take those classes is it expands how you think about problems and how you approach problems in engineering. <laughs> That's a very engineering mindset of thinking about doing non-engineering things. It is like and it, and at, least at UT University of Texas is when you take all these extra classes, um, you don't take um, like your math class. You don't take math for engineers which is actually a really popular thing in other schools you take math and it's with math majors so like 80 percent of your class is math majors and they're like 
you you think you're smart because you're an engineer uh, engineer and then you go take a math class with math majors and you realize you're the dumbest person in the room yeah you get your ass kicked (laughs) (laughs) and same thing with like chemistry you take chemistry and you're taking it with chemists and chemical engineers and you're an electrical engineer and you're like I have no idea what's going on. This is chemistry like 301. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it, it, it kind of just throws you into the into the um, the fire and just gets you exposed to so much more stuff. And you have to absorb it. And, apl- and I, I actually apply that, like, I apply chemistry and how, like, um, materials act in board design. Like when you start mm-hmm. doing mechanical stuff like mounting holes and how does, how, you know, what's the optimal reflow profile for this board? You know, that stuff is chemistry mechanical based. Of course. Yeah. And and you see what, what college has really kind of given to you is the ability to approach that problem and think about it from many different lights in many different directions uh you know you could certainly it's it's not hard to look up a reflow profile and and find it on google but it's also like yeah there's a lot of different aspects of uh technologies that goes into what's happening during a reflow profile and you've at least touched the you know uh, each one of those disciplines in college so you have an idea of what's happening in chemistry you have an idea of what's happening on the actual engineering side and so yeah, no, I think I think I think that's so. It, going back to it, like yes, once again, you could you can learn all this stuff outside of the of college, but college has pieced it all together into like one cohesive body, and so something I haven't found outside of college is like. A list of if you want to, you know, understand what an electrical engineer would do at college, you need to learn all of these things. Like if there was just like a whole list of it, you could go and and learn exactly the same things. Yeah. Um, but but really, you know, one of the things I did at A and M that um, I, I I really tried to gear my college experience such that there were things that I did at college that you could not do anywhere else um, because I knew I could teach myself something outside of college. So I particularly took classes that had specific labs that were things that I, in, in, on a everyday experience, I would not be able to do that. So I did semiconductor physics. I actually got to make my own silicon chips in a silicon wafer fab that was on col- the college campus. That's something that like your community college in your town is not going to have that. You can't you could you can read about it, but you'd never be able to do it unless you went to. Didn't that high school student build a PCB fab and or a uh, silicon lab into in his garage? Well, okay, yes, <laughs> he, he did, but it's not. But but what I'm getting at is like that's not something that you could just wake up and be like, you know, I want to learn about this and I want to do it. You know, like you're not going to be able to do that and and that's not an experience that you'd have at any college that was probably specific to a&m but every college is going to have those kind of things at the same time if you go do like honest to god engineering at a college you're going to have lab work that is guided by somebody which you can find you know maker spaces and things uh, that effectively do the same thing but you're not going to have it guided by somebody who they themselves are an educator you probably just have it guided by somebody who 
they themselves as just someone in the community who knows what they're you know knows what they're talking about and that's not to say that that's like worse in any way but with college it's just structured you know that's really what you're getting at there's Mm -hmm. structure to your learning yeah and and you know i'm going to expand a little bit more on what i was talking about is like it it how it's how college teaches you this stuff too because it is it's more about learning how to tackle and look at a problem and solve it instead of actually solving the problem it's like okay it's, it's like the difference between knowing two plus two is four and knowing how addition works if that makes sense it's like the difference between like a technician and an engineer. An engineer will will figure out how to solve the problem. A technician goes, "Oh, that's the problem. Here's the solution that I already know about." Sure. I, I mean, I, I see this a lot in in software development where you have computer engineers tackling a problem, and you have software developers that are kind of self taught, which is not a bad thing. Mo- the best software developers I know are self taught software guys but it's how they tackle the problems are completely different oh for sure well and there's okay so when it comes to we'll we'll just do electrical engineering in particular uh there's sort of three kind of things that you can have and 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 these are not hierarchical in other words there's not like one's better than the other they're just three ways of approaching it and i think whoever is looking in to get into electrical engineering should kind of like experience or explore all three of these. First of all, there's the self-taught, the guy, the basement warrior who just sits and makes, you know, circuits on his own and is amazing at it. Uh, That's one thing that like, Hey, go for it. If that's your jam. The other thing is called ET, which is engineering technician or technical engineer. And they're basically electrical engineering that still spends you know, time on a four-year college campus, they don't learn really much, if any, theory. They learn very hard, practical examples. Like, these are guys that you would have as manufacturing technicians on your on your manufacturing floor. Uh, they may not be the guy who's designing the schematics, but they're sure as hell the guy who, who's fixing broken boards and things like that. And, they're, they're debugging right. why, why the design's not working or being manufactured correctly. Right, exactly. Or repairing it in the field. Yeah. Like a field application engineer, FAE. Right, exactly. And and then the, the third group is the traditional classical electrical engineer that they have uh, an education that's really heavily grounded in theory. Uh, all three of them are very, you know, valuable and valid. Uh, it's just kind of like which whichever one floats your boat. You can make money and do well at any one of those in, in, uh, you know, a, a huge variety of jobs. So it's kind of just like, take, like figure out which one of those buckets you fit in. If you want to be an electrical guy and then like, just like eat it alive from there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and always be, oh, and I, we've said this before is always learn. Yeah. Always look, read, you know, read application notes, look at the latest products coming out. Um, look at lots and lots of projects. I mean, that's how I learned a lot of my original stuff was I looked at other schematics and like, how does that work? How do you repair this appliance? Uh, appliance? Cause that's how I got started. It was, you know, hacking 
Atari consoles and fixing, you know, washing machines. <laughs> well, and, and actually, you know, funny enough, we um, when I was at MacFab, I talked to a, uh, there was a guy who was looking for an internship. He was a student at the University of Houston, and I had a chat with him because he stopped by the shop. Um, find some problem that you want to solve. And and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to look for a problem, but in other words, like find your niche, find your like, the thing that you get jollies off of. Like obviously, for me, our listeners know that like audio electronics is my jam. I love that stuff; it's so much fun. So like, find your whatever that is, and just start like playing around within that like boundary area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like consume every bit of information you can find in that area. Yeah, and I would say definitely, like, I think one thing we don't touch on a lot is looking at other people's projects yeah, that's in that for sure. space. Uh, that's and, for sure. like, how how do they, you know, how do they mix audio together? Um, how does that stomp box work? How does, in my case, like, how does... Um, how does a Jeep work? They don't work, Stephen. <laughs> Why did the Jeep engineers design it like that? Ugh. You know what Jeep stands for? No, I don't. It's probably some goofy acronym, right? Jerks engineered every part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are a ton of Jeeps up here. Like, oh, yeah. Loads of Jeeps. I guess it's just mountain crawlers and hippies, I suppose. Yeah. Mall crawlers. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, um, stay in school, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do your homework and drink your milk. Take your vitamins. Um, and we have one more question. Is Jared asks, what's your favorite ice cream? Or favorite flavor of ice or f- cream? Well, the same, same thing, thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, go for it. I am a... I'm a weird person. I like Rocky Road or pistachio ice cream. Ooh, pistachio yeah. is excellent. Yes, it is. It's hard to find sometimes, though. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't want to sound like a like an elite snob or anything like that, but I but no no like you want to be like Ben and Jerry's whatever flavor. No them. no, it's even worse than that. <laughs> no, uh, I I make a um, Earl Grey tea ice cream and I love it. Oh, it's God. super good. No, it's really really good. <laughs> uh, and so I I pick that. You got to make some for me then. I I thought I did at one point in time. No, no, I haven't. Okay, I, I think I would have remembered Earl Grey tea, uh, tea ice cream. It's really, really, really good. Can you make a Lipton tea version? You know, I mean, really I just, popular. I just steep that... it in milk. So you pick the tea, and I can make it for you. That that'd be like everyone in the South would buy that if you made Lipton iced tea flavored ice cream. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, yeah, and it would be it would be a bowl of ice cream that's Lipton iced tea, but it would still have ice in it, like ice cubes in it. and yeah, like a, le- a lemon and a lemon on, on yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And a bowl of gravy uh, on the side for whatever reason. Oh, to dip your ice cream in. To dip your ice cream. <laughs> now that would be a southern meal. Fried chicken, waffles, gravy and ice cream. Ice cream. And Lipton ice, ice cream. Lipton ice cream. <laughs> Uh, so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. And keep cool with that Lipton ice cream.
Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, topic, or ice cream flavor that you want Steve and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.